I live and breathe in the city, and I kind of like it. The hustle and bustle, the cinemas, the shops, the cafes. The convenience of having access to almost everything at any time of the day. But city life also means roads and cars, noise and traffic, and pollution of the very air that I inhale every day. And I'm not alone. 56% of the world's population live in urban areas. And by 2050, this share is expected to rise to 68%. Usually, I don't think so much about the risks of bad air quality. When I cycle around Copenhagen, I don't consider the impact that air quality might have on my health. After all, the sky is clear and I can't see any smog. But that's the thing. Bad air quality is mostly invisible. Luckily, there's a lot going on when it comes to measuring air quality in urban areas all over the world. Not only do we want to know just how bad the air quality is, but also how to reduce traffic, how to establish more green areas, and where to build playgrounds for our children. And it turns out that the Nordic countries are frontrunners in this area. In this episode, you'll meet a world-leading expert in healthy urban living. You'll also hear more from Copenhagen, where they found out just how important it is to measure the differences in air quality from neighborhood to neighborhood, even from street to street. And that Google Street View can help find answers to an important question of the future. How can we increase the livability of cities by improving air quality? I'm Afton Halloran, and you're listening to the Nordic Talks podcast. We know in Europe um, around 400,000 people die each year prematurely because of air pollution levels, and many people get ill. This is Mark Neuhausen, a world-leading expert in environmental exposure assessment, which basically means measuring and evaluating the health risks of poor air quality. Recently, we published a large study where we looked in a thousand European cities to see what is the burden of mortality related to air pollution in these cities. And, you know, in, in these almost thousand cities, we found that, you know, you could prevent around 200,000 deaths a year in, in cities if you would be able to lower the air pollution levels um, to the very lowest levels measured in, in some cities. Mark is a research professor at IS Global, the Barcelona Institute for Global Health. He's also passionate about healthy urban living. According to Mark, we need to act fast to improve urban air quality. I think still a lot of people, uh, a lot of citizens don't know or are not aware of the dangers of air pollution. You know, people think it's part of the city. I mean, it's like also, oh, you have cars in the city. It's just part of the city. People accept it. I mean, and they don't realize that, you know, even lower air pollution levels actually kill quite a few people. I mean, make people ill, you know, cause uh, asthma in children. Um, you know, at the same time, this creates noise, but also has health effects. I mean, so there are a lot of these things that people are not aware. So we need to try to raise more awareness. An important part of raising awareness is to present solid scientific evidence about the air quality at city level. And to do that, we need to take a lot of measurements. 
Before we go into the specifics, let's understand Mark's job a little better. You know, actually what you would like to do, you also want to make an impact. You want to reduce the burden of disease. Um, and myself, I've taken the, the city as a unit where I'm working in and where I would like to try to reduce the mortality burden, the disease burden within the cities. So for this, we set up a knowledge translation uh, initiative um, where we try to package our uh, research findings in a simpler language for policymakers. I mean, policymakers, decision makers in cities, um, you know, they don't understand the very detailed scientific information. They want to have something much simpler. They don't want to read a report of 100 pages, what it is. They want to have, you know, a 1A4. What are the impacts and what could we do? So it's all about ensuring that people's health and the environment becomes the foundation for future urban planning. According to Mark, it's about promoting a new way of thinking. We also go out to talk to them. I mean, particular talk to groups like urban planners, transport planners, because we know what they actually do, their practices have a large impact on public health. You know, I'm coming from a public health background. I can't change anything. I can only show what are the impacts of, of um, urban and transport practices, of, of the, the environmental pollution, but I can't change anything. But urban planners, transport planners, you know, people working in cities, they actually can change uh, things, but often they don't understand that they have a large impact on public health. I mean, most of the time, for example, for transport planners, they want to get people for as fast as possible from A to B, uh, you know, from home to work. I mean, how was the fastest way? That's kind of in their brain, but they don't think about from, you know, how can we make this journey also healthy? Um, or how can we reduce the current impacts? Because, you know, if people go from A to B by car, they uh, produce air pollution, they produce noise, they take up a lot of space that can be used in a much better way, uh, and they don't get any physical activity. But if they would take their journey, say cycling, they wouldn't produce any air pollution, no noise, they take up much less space, uh, so the space can be used for other things, to plant some trees. And and also they get physical activity, what is extremely important for health. Most of the time, you know, it's for us what we find raising the awareness, how much they can do, what they can change actually helps quite a lot. And so you get different conversations then. Uh, and, and when, you know, no one can argue with health. Um, if you come from left parties or right parties, you don't want people to die or get ill. So if you bring in the health argument, uh, it makes it easier to make changes in a way and try to create healthier cities, try to get create healthier and more sustainable transport. Uh, and that's what we all need. But before we can discuss improving human health as a motivating factor, we need facts, data, and precise measurements of the air quality in our cities. And then citizens must be informed about the situation. Because if you live in a city, you might not think that you're breathing in poor quality air. In Copenhagen, the city authorities recently decided to raise the level of awareness amongst citizens. Luisa Kielgast is a part of this effort. She works for GEL, an urban design agency. We are interested in how we, also as urban designers, can address these large systems uh, of urban air quality while linking it to people's everyday lives. And a first important step for us in that is to actually make 
the invisible visible uh, because that's one of the challenges of air quality that it's very difficult to comprehend uh, for urban citizens and therefore also difficult to act on. And it's not only about collecting data to assess the overall situation in your city. Within each urban area, there can be huge differences from neighborhood to neighborhood, even from street to street. So if you really want to make changes in people's daily lives, you need to measure air quality at a hyper-local level. But how do you do that? Well, maybe you've heard of Google Street View. It's a technology featured in Google Maps that provides you with interactive panoramas of streets around the world. To take these pictures, highly sophisticated camera equipment is mounted on top of so-called Google Street View cars. These cars drive around and capture photos of the urban landscape. And in Copenhagen, they've equipped the Google Street View car with air quality sensors. At the time of the recording of this episode, Natalie Smilu was head of brand marketing for Google Northern Europe. She explains the project, which has been named Project Airview. If you look back, cities and states and regions have a long history in measuring air quality and they're using governmental monitoring stations. But this is measuring the air quality in a few places in the city. And what we've done with Project Airview is that we equipped the Google Street View car. And many of you will know the car from getting us images for Google Earth and Google Maps. But now through equipping the car with scientific grade air quality sensors, we've been able to also make a map from the whole city, literally street by street. And what we do is we work together with our scientific partners from the University of Utrecht and Aarhus University. And together we measure, among others, ultrafine particles and black carbon. And our scientific partners, they help us to actually validate the data, analyze the data, and put the data into context when they're being interpreted. And eventually we will deliver together an annual average map of the pollutants throughout the city. The maps will be presented online where they will be made freely available for everyone who is interested. According to Natalie, it's no coincidence that Project Airview has been launched in a Nordic country early on. After all, the Nordics have some of the most ambitious climate policies in the world. And this increases the likelihood of air quality data being turned into action. We love to work with Copenhagen since the city is very much at the forefront when it comes to environmental topics. And they've set very ambitious goals in their climate plans. And we were excited to work with them together. And we were happy when they said, "Okay, let's just do it. And um, let's put this technology to test, to research and to analyze the data together. But then again, measurements are just a starting point. And what matters most is what are the insights that can be derived and how they can inform ideas that contribute to a healthy environment. And this is how Copenhagen introduced Gale Architects, who are really good in putting these insights into urban life. And to give you an example, um, questions we have tackled in our conversations were around where to build the playgrounds for children, where to plant trees in the city to make the air fresher, just to give you a few examples. For Luisa from Gell, the hyper-local measurements are incredibly valuable. These measurements can be used by city planners and citizens alike. 
I think what is interesting in this project is that it adds also the very local level to data. Um, I think a lot of cities are in these days collecting data on air quality, but not in the same localized way. And I think it helps to make it more relatable and accessible to many different people uh, so they can actually ultimately act on it. And I think it it matters that it's not just collected at a city scale to see how a city more generally is performing, but down to that neighborhood scale of understanding um, different streets and what would it matter if you know that your commuting route is looking like this or like that? Uh, Would that invite you to take other decisions in your daily life? It doesn't just stop at the street level. We have also looked at data and air quality throughout the day. So really understanding the rhythms and and, uh, whether it makes a difference uh, where you move about in the morning versus midday uh, and afternoon and, and weekend. And again, all these more detailed sets of information will help people make, I think, more informed decisions, both in terms of uh, planning, but also uh, from the citizen's perspective. Uh, Of course, some of it has to be addressed at a very overall global scale even, and depending also uh, what kind of air quality particles uh, you're talking about. But with these very hyperlocal ultrafine particles, these are actually particles that we can do something about in each of the individual cities and maybe even down to the street scale. So some of the principles that we have started uh, to develop relate to um, where to reduce parking, uh, how to maybe shield parking, how to work with traffic calming. Uh, We know that the stopping and starting of engines uh, actually create more localized pollution, but also uh, this idea of time management uh, that maybe uh, the same regulations won't apply to all streets throughout the whole day. So could we also, and again, based on the knowledge of where people go and how they move throughout the day, could we also start to regulate uh, traffic patterns uh, to reduce the exposure of bad air quality? At IS Global in Barcelona, Mark also acknowledges the importance of hyperlocal measurements. They can be used to determine the level of air pollution around schools, for instance. You know, it shows what are the levels, and they're surprised that the levels around schools are so high. So, and that's also, you know, let the uh, city council to start taking measures to reduce car use around the schools. So there's a big initiative here in in Barcelona to reduce traffic around 70 schools in the city um, because there the the levels are particularly high. I mean, I know also like, for example, in London, there's a big initiative to reduce air pollution around school. Uh, We did a large study here in Barcelona where we looked at uh, kids from 40 schools and we found in the schools where there was higher air pollution levels, the cognitive development of children was about 5 or 6% less in the high polluted schools compared to the low pollution uh, schools per year. I mean, so these are quite large differences that you actually can get. And we know now 
you know the the impact the uh, air pollution has on the brain and it's um, and it's not good for us so since bad air quality is especially harmful to children there's good reason that areas around schools are given top priority the city of copenhagen has taken these efforts one step further by focusing on children under the age of 4 this group is one of the more vulnerable uh, groups uh, in cities. So how can we also make urban environments that are safe and inviting for them? And we know uh, for a fact that uh, these very young children, they breathe four times faster than adults. Um, and especially in those very early years, um, their brain is developing fast and it's actually 90% of the development of the brain that's happening in those years. So those are very formative uh, years and therefore they also are very likely to be affected. So how can we really make conditions that are most conducive to long-term health uh, and to really maximize the potential for improved health outcomes in the long run? Project Airview was not only launched by Google in Copenhagen, but also in Amsterdam in London. We consider Copenhagen, like similar in Europe, Amsterdam and London, as research cities where we really um, started a very deep partnership to measure for more than a year hyperlocal air quality. And this is just the beginning. Now the Google Street View car has been equipped with sensors in 50 cities worldwide. So we love to engage with cities who are interested in actually this type of data. But there are, of course, also many other ways how cities can get involved and how they can build their own hyperlocal map of the city in terms of air quality. For example, through equipping their city car fleet with mobile sensors to really create the street-by-street map for their city. There's a need for all kinds of good ideas like these, because bad air quality is really a global problem. That's also why Mark spends more and more of his time working internationally. The air pollution is a global problem. Um, based on current estimates, you know, up to 9 million people die each year as a result of outdoor air pollution. So we're not even counting indoor air pollution from biomass burning. This is from outdoor sources, from often what we see... Uh, using fossil fuels for for um, heating in house and cooking from cars, etc., that produces the air pollution. Uh, particular high levels we find in places like China and uh, India, where there's still a lot of coal burning going on. But then here, you know, in Europe, we see more coming from traffic, which is still a major source. And also, uh, lately, it's showing that agriculture can contribute quite a bit. Now, hopefully, with the new initiatives around, you know, to address the climate uh, crisis, where we try to um, reduce our addiction to fossil fuels, to renewable resources, this will also reduce the air pollution levels in Europe. And the predictions are that air pollution levels will go down over the next 10, 20 years in Europe because we're going to be relying much more on renewable resources and you know the use of electricity. So that's in a way positive, but do we need to wait 20, 30 years to improve things or can we you know, start doing it at the moment? And I think that's the big question. Thank you. 
as citizens, what can you and I do about urban air quality? And how can we protect ourselves? Here's Louise. By making this information on air quality more accessible and more easy to understand, I think it, it helps you and I to also ask more of uh, politicians, but also uh, integrate it into our daily behavior. Of course, we still want people to move freely, uh, but maybe it can also help us make more informed choices of where we move at certain times of day, where we choose to spend longer time. Um, but again, also to push uh, for investments uh, to be made where there's cleaner air and help maybe even start campaigning. Um, I think that's one of the things that came up in this project uh, because we also had workshops where citizens participated and actually being shown these results uh, made them think, but uh, we should get that knowledge out to a lot more people. And how can we start to do that? Uh, try to innovate around campaigns and, and information uh, maybe even in the public spaces. Let's hear from Natalie. It all starts with having the right insights and uh, to familiarize yourself with a topic and to get a really good and deep understanding of the quality in your city and in your neighborhood and how it really differs area by area. And then I'd say get involved in your community There are so many experts out there in every city who can really put the measurements into the right context of the city. And then together you can work on initiatives that can make a real difference city by city and area by area. And now to Mark. I think what you can do, I mean, first of all, by avoiding the current air pollution is not live near a major road, for example, or live near another major air pollution source. We know for major roads that levels of air pollution can be two, three times higher compared to minor roads. And uh, my personal advice is just sell your car, get rid of your car and walk around and cycle around, use public transport. I mean, It's uh, one of the best ways to reduce it. You know, my last message would be that, you know, many people uh, in Europe and other parts living in, in cities nowadays and people are used Uh, have a certain perception of cities that they should be with many cars, a lot of noise, but you can envisage different cities. I mean, and that are much quieter uh, cities actually for, for people, you know, we have fewer cars um, where people can walk around, cycle around a much nicer environment. So I, I think what we need to be looking um, towards to it's, it's, improve the attractiveness of our cities. And we can do that, making them carbon neutral, uh, making them more livable, making them healthier by uh, promoting more public and active transportation and greening of our cities. Yes, let's make our cities attractive again, for the right reasons, that is, because of improvements in air quality. Even though some of the figures that we just heard are very disturbing, It's at least encouraging that these facts are reaching the right people, like mayors and city planners. That's a precondition for change. And it's equally good to know that the hyper-local data is accessible for us as citizens at an equally local level. It means that we can take these results into account in our everyday lives. We can choose to walk or cycle on the least polluted routes, Or we could demand greener public transportation systems to reduce the amount of traffic in the city. 
check out our website, nordictalks.com, where you can read more about all the people that you meet in this podcast. I'm Afton Halloran. Thanks for listening. <laughs>